And what I always say to people is, look, if you want to be skeptical and try and debunk me, that is fine, but do it based on the evidence. Don't do it based on some opinion you've heard from somebody on the telly a few days ago. What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, with me is Jared, and today we're going to be talking crop circles. The mysterious designs that show up seemingly out of nowhere in fields of crops all around the world. Uh, crop circle believers, or croppies as they're known, have some pretty interesting explanations for how these happen. Uh, they cover everything from complex instructions for zero-point energy reactors to I've seen interdimensional anchors used as waypoints for time travelers, uh, spinning balls of plasma, all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, most of the world, turns out, uh, is under the impression that this was thoroughly debunked, like when I was 10. So <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty tough, actually, to find believers on this. But we found them, and the crappie community is out there, and they believe that the truth is still out there. So that's what we're going to be doing today, sucking the joy and magic from crop circles, as we do with everything else. Yeah, I do kind of feel like we got to take the joy and magic out of things sometimes. When I was young, this was probably one of my favorite topics. And I remember Unsolved Mysteries did a thing on it at one point, and I was just enamored with the idea of crop yeah. circles, right? Like, Who's so. the actor who plays Riker? You remember the, the show he did? Oh my gosh, no, I don't. I can't, oh man, he used to, I can't remember his name. Uh, maybe we'll flesh it up here. Uh, Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes is his name, and he had a, like an unsolved mystery thing where he would like look meaningfully into the camera and ask if you could believe it. he did some episodes on crop circles. Anyway, yeah, we're going to destroy all of the joy and magic you may have gotten from that in your childhood. So buckle up. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, in all seriousness, the reason we decided to tackle this subject, aside from being just fun skepticism, is that I noticed a lot of similarities between the way that the supporters crappies, which is the term they have for themselves is uh, a lot of similarities in the way they talked about crop circles and their explanations and how other people talk about uh, certain things that, or, or have left certain comments in certain YouTube videos that we've done about certain shrouds of certain turns. So, uh, and other things that we've debunked in the past, there's a lot of overlap. And so I thought that this might serve as a cautionary tale perhaps. So, as we're going through it, listen carefully, see if you can see the parallels, and we'll talk about that at the end. And also, my boss found out that I have a podcast and suggested this topic, so I kind of have to do it. <laughs> Brownie points. <laughs> yeah. Well, what exactly is a crop circle, right? So a crop circle is simply just a design that's put into a crop field, uh, usually some sort of cereal field like that contains wheat or barley. And these crop circles typically pop up overnight unexpectedly. Uh, that's one of the key def uh defining factors of a crop circle, right? And they have, they can be very simple designs or they can be extremely complex or have some sort of like embedded messages or even a binary code put into them. So you've seen crop circles ranging from just a couple circles, circles uh, connected with bars to elaborate pictures, bicycles, uh, entire circuit <laughs> boards. It's gotten pretty intense. Uh, so yeah, crop circles range the whole gamut and they appear the world over. And they another diagnostic feature that you hear is that the grass is bent, but not broken. That is not always the case, but among in genuine circles, circles that are regarded as genuine by believers, uh, they will point to the crops not being broken. 
Yeah. Another thing. Uh, is, this is important because they say this humans could have done this. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's usually no clear tracks leading into and out. So you can't like see a place where a human walked in or walked out. Um, and other things that people will point to are bright lights in the area. Sometimes witnesses will say that, or sometimes they'll claim to have had uh, issues with electrical equipment. Like my camera didn't take pictures or whatever, this sort of things. Yeah. So that's what a crop circle is. If uh, you were not a fan of the X-Files in the 90s like I was. <laughs> <laughs> or you didn't uh, see the movie Signs with Mel Signs, Gibson. Yeah. 2002, yep. yeah. Uh, but crop circles aren't a modern thing. They We've had crop circles of some description at least for hundreds of years. So the first recorded crop circle that I could find was from 1678. It was published in a pamphlet called The Mowing Devil or Strange News Out of Hertfordshire. I That's the whole title, that whole thing. It's not like it had alternate titles. It was the, that whole thing. And according to the story, a farmer didn't want to pay to have his field mowed. He basically told the guy to pound sand and he wished and the, he wished the devil would mow it instead because it's too expensive. And that night the field was like on fire and then he woke up and it was like perfectly mowed in a circle. And the picture in the pamphlet has a devil like you know with a little scythe and uh yeah so that's that's the first crop circle some people dispute whether this really counts because it was like mowed or burned to the ground or something and not you know bent right. over but still but it's it's a circle in a field that popped up overnight unexplainably so yep exactly uh fast forward a few hundred years 1880 you get a clear reference to something that sounds very much like our modern crop circles. And this is actually the first uh, scientific commentary on crop circles. It was published in Nature. Nature was running that far back. A gentleman by the name of John Capron published it. And he said that a basic, I won't read the whole thing. You can, uh, there'll be a link in the description, but he basically described that there had been storms in the area. They'd been violent. And he visited a neighbor's farm and he saw circular spots that had formed in the, in the crops. And he talked about how, uh, so there were some standing crops in the center, but st stocks that were laid down or prostrate kind of going in a direction around it. So it sounds kind of similar to what we see now, right? And uh, going into the 20th century, um, there though there have been, as we said, through centuries, uh, variations on the theme of crops flattened out or cut or something in a circle, and they'd show up over time. They weren't linked to UFOs or aliens, until the 20th century in the night uh, after the 1940s. So you may remember in the 1940s, that's when alien abductions and UFO sightings really spiked. That's when you had the Roswell incident. You remember Roswell? I had yeah, a big, yeah, big, big weather balloon. I mean, UFO. UFO, yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually had a book when I was a kid that was allegedly an expose written by some colonel and I, it was like he's like he's like blowing the lid off the whole thing and i was like oh a colonel's writing it must be true like, it must be true yeah, yeah. yeah sure anyway, but, but I, roswell I, was 1947 right oh. roswell was 1947 and yeah. so after that these sort of these things started to be linked in uh, a town called tully which is in queensland australia a banana farmer named george pedley he claimed he saw a flying saucer kind of zoom out of a lagoon near his fields. And when he went to investigate, there was a circle of like floating reeds. The reeds had been ripped up and were like floating in a circle. It was 
you know, he, there's a picture, uh, which is super low quality. I feel like they had better cameras than this in the sixties, but whatever, it's the best one I could find <laughs> of him like laying down on well, the reeds. They're Australian. They're a couple years behind us. Right? That's so, true. Yeah. yeah. And it's upside down. So it'll be uh, yeah, whatever. Harder, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this was called a saucer nest, which is, you know, just a super catchy name. And uh, even though this wasn't like in crops or anything, this kind of cemented the connection between crop circles and aliens and flying saucers and flying saucers. Right. And it makes sense too. If you just think about it from like, it's a saucer with a circular shape. And so the idea is it comes down and they're either putting a pattern in or like the propulsion system, who knows what does it, but right. Yeah. Some kind of alien technology is responsible. In any case, (laughs) the crop circles you're probably thinking of, when you say crop circles, those really started showing up more frequently in the late 70s, particularly, but not exclusively, in southern England. And like we said before, they started as very simple circles that would show up overnight. And over time, they got increasingly complex. Uh, they would have more interlocking circles or more circles in an area, varying sizes, all those sorts of things. And at the time, seriologists, which are what people who study crop circles, that's what they're called. Uh, they came up with all kinds of explanations for this. Now, uh, as an aside, going through this, like we said before, most of the world seems to think this is debunked. And so there's not like a lot of act. There there are still people who believe that crop circles are authentic, but most of the organizations and groups that are like big into crop circles kind of started to die out in the nineties and two thousands and have just made their websites look like it was like going back in time. I could hear (laughs) dial up, you know, as going through some of these websites. Yeah. 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 Uh, So anyways, uh, you had some uh, creative sort of, Uh, models, for example, Patrick Delgado and Colin Andrews wrote a book called uh, Circular Evidence, and they purported to show in that book that uh, these circles could not be a hoax. Pat believed that the circles were made by aliens, but even then, like, hoax was certainly a competing um, explanation. You had other things like ley lines. I don't know if you've ever heard of ley lines. So, like, ancient people would build things on, like, these mystical lines or whatever. And then, of course, your usual run-of-the-mill message from God or Gaia, Satan, or aliens, or you know, whatever thing they wanted to get a message from. And those all seem to be sort of just like common people. But did you? So you did most of the research for this one. Did you find anything from like any scientist taking this seriously to the point where they were like, "There's something to this"? Yeah. So at the time, uh, there were not a lot because some, a lot of scientists viewed it as kind of. Uh, maybe not serious enough to research, but there were some actual scientists who took it seriously and tried to look into it. So one example of that would be Terence Meaden. He was a retired physics professor, and he proposed that the hilly geography of Southern England led to vortexes uh, that would like touch down and leave this uh, mark in the fields and then dissipate, right? So he believed it was a meteorod- meteor- meteorological uh, thing. Weather. It was weather. Right. It's it weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wind, wind stuff. So, uh, for example, uh, I found a New Scientist article from 1990 where Meaden was challenged on this theory. So, like, over time, the circles got more complex. And this was a difficulty for Meaden's theory because the vortex, like, it's easy. It's 
kind of easy to conceptualize how like a voice comes down, bend some circle, grass. Right? Yeah. But then when you have multiple circles that are like connected with stuff. And so people ask like, well, how come like more shapes and different shapes are showing up over time? And his answer in this article was, well, I mean, there might be 500 different combinations of which we see only a selection in any one season. And that doesn't mean that the cause of the phenomena is changing. So basically he po- he posited, for instance, there were some formations that looked like uh, the five on a six sided die like five pips and he thought maybe a vortex had split five ways and made Mm. it like that so anyway his uh his explanations got more complex as time went on and he wasn't the only one there were some other researchers one would be uh yoshihiku atsuki of waseda university he mainly researches ball lightning which is a whole other thing of (laughs) dubious uh reality it's it's not that's a whole other episode. We're not going to go into that. But he believed <laughs> that plasma fireballs, basically big spinning balls of superheated plasma, were throwing up microwaves. And that was like cooking the grass and that leading to complex formations. We'll get more into the microwave thing later. But yes, there were some scientists that were looking into it at the time. And these scientists, though, had to contend with trying to research what they believe was genuine phenomena, while also having to kind of fend off criticism from their uh, peers and trying to wrestle with the knowledge that some crop circles at least were hoaxes. So because we had ideas that humans could have created these, right? So like they're like it's possible a human made this, but this one doesn't fit our criteria, so we're gonna throw this out. But this one over or, here has some, or like there were some that were obviously hoaxes. Like one of them, there was like the circle was made, and then there was like a Ouija board, and like some oh yeah, in the middle. like this is clearly a hoax, right? Like so. Yeah. So that there were some like that, but they believe that even though some were hoaxes, there were definitely ones that were genuine. Okay, so and, and they talked about how to distinguish between the two. They believed that most of them were genuine. And so uh, to kind of get a peek into what they were saying at the time, I found an article that allegedly ran in the MUFON UFO Journal in 1990. It was just like a text copy of this, so I can't verify that it was in fact, but it's in line with other things I saw them say, so it seems reasonable. Anyway, uh, they talked about that obvious hoax that I just mentioned with the Ouija boards and stuff. But then they argued that most circles were genuine and they point to some features that they said preclude human involvement. So these could not be done by humans, specifically the absence of physical trampling. So nobody like physically stomping on the, on the grass or like weaving tracks and stuff. Humans would leave traces if they were out there jumping around in a bunch of grass. Yeah. How precise the designs were. So how like perfectly laid out they were the rapid manufacture being done overnight in the dark with nobody seeing it. Like, so it had to be, you only have a few hours before it's dark enough not to be seen. Right. Uh, the sheer size of the formations, uh, Meaden rule appointed uh, to a, that cone of plants sometimes in the center, which that nature article from the 1880s also pointed out to like, sometimes not all the plants are tamped down the very center of the circle sometimes has a cone. And he said that that ruled out, physical compression from above. So according to Eden, having that tuft of plants in the middle means that nope, it could not be physical compression. It had to be right. some other. It had to be else. something couldn't have come down and pressed it all down unless it was like a donut maybe, but who knows? <laughs> uh, he also They also pointed to circles appearing elsewhere in the world. So they note that cir- circles at the time, while they were concentrated in Southern England, they showed up elsewhere too. And for example, some had shown up in North America, though they were a little bit 
confused. They thought it was mysterious that the ones in North America had different features. So those crop circles often were like the plants were uprooted, like ripped up or even burned down. Okay. Hmm. They pointed to eyewitnesses claiming to have seen the circles form by themselves. And finally, they talked about biological or uh, changes in people, like they would feel like they got toothaches or headaches or back pains or nausea around crop circles or electromagnetic phenomena. Like they they recount one anecdote of somebody had a camera and it like stopped working when they got to the crop circle, but worked when they pulled it out. Or like lights dimming. I think they've heard that too. Yeah, so. yeah that sort of stuff. So... That was like their list of of things addressing the hoax uh, idea and saying because some crop circles have these features, they could not be done by humans. Therefore, we need to find another explanation. So that was the thrust. The, the, the article goes on. Link will be in the description, obviously. But that was what they were talking about. They did point out the time, though, some odd features of the design. For example, uh, they they saw that the designs weren't all done at once. So they were talking about dumbbell designs where you had circle, circle, and then a straight crossbar, right? right? And they noticed that some of the plants in the crossbar like overlaid over the circles. So obviously the circle was done first and the plant came on top. Or vice versa. But one side was was on top of the other, which shows that they weren't all done. They were done in some kind of sequence and they weren't sure why that would be, right? So uh, these features were enough to give Meaden the confidence to declare that hoaxes weren't responsible for most of the formations. And I found an article uh, published in the Washington Post on August 19th, 1991. And it meet stated, quote, hoaxes are certainly, hoaxers are certainly active, but crop circles are essentially a meteorological phenomena. Now remember that date, August 19th, 1991, okay? Three weeks later, on September 9th, 1991, Graham Bro a reporter working for the London paper, some call it a tabloid today. He called up Patrick Delgado, the guy who wrote the uh, circular evidence book from earlier. So he was known in the circle community. This reporter got a uh, new of a crop circle that has shown up. It was pretty remarkable. Uh, you can see it there on the screen. Lots of connecting stuff, lots of straight lines, really neat. And so he called Pat over to like, they wanted to interview him about this crop circle. And Delgado was very impressed he said, quote, this is without doubt the most wonderful moment of my research. No human could have done this, end quote. And so he suggested mm. that it had to have been made by a superior intelligence, probably extraterrestrial. And he was like super excited until, and this is kind of mean, but it's still hilarious, until the reporter Graham pulled out two gentlemen, Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, those two people had made the circle in front of the reporter before they called Pat. So they, what, what actually happened. Talk about gotcha journalism. <laughs> right? <laughs> what actually happened is they, Doug and Dave, they claimed that they you know, are responsible for these circles. They wanted to like finally come out with it. So they called up this reporters like, hey, we're, we're going to do this. And they cooked up this idea. I'm not sure whose idea it was, but they literally like made the circle. What they use, you can see a picture here. I can't remember which one this is, but uh, you can see a picture of one of the gentlemen here with uh, simp- the board that he has in his right hand is the one they used. The board in their left hand is like a more modern improvement on the same design, but basically a plank of wood with rope that they would hold. And so they could stomp it with their feet, right? Yeah. And that, uh, man, I... How how does that feel to be Delgado in that moment? Like, yeah. like that's that's harsh. <laughs> but, 
But don't worry, though, because it took him absolutely no time at all to pivot (laughs) and and say that, okay, these guys might have made this circle, but they're definitely not making all of the circles. Some of them are still authentic. He said uh, that while they may have hooked some circles, the phenomena is still there and we're going to continue carrying on the research. Right. Just like that. Just boom, right back to believing it. Immediately, immediately right back in. Isn't it true that Doug and Dave said that they were responsible for some of these crop circles all the way back into like the seventies, right? It wasn't just like they did this one. Like there's like, Hey, these are our crop circles. We've been doing these for a while. So Doug and Dave claim to basically responsible for all crop circles in Southern England since the late seventies. And they claim to have gotten their idea. They were inspired by that Australian crop circle from earlier in the reeds. One of them had been living in Australia at the time, heard about it. He was, they were drinking together and they're like, you know, it'd be funny. What if we did this? You know, it'd be fun. So they went out and did it. And eventually started getting noticed. And over time, like people were talking about it and they thought it was very funny that people thought it was UFOs when it was actually them. And, you know, they started like playing off each other. So they'd see in the media, like, you know, ex- explanation for the circles. So they'd add more circles like, oh, well, maybe, you know, these. So they'd add straight lines, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, so that's what they claimed. Uh, I should point out that there have been some accusations over time that Dave and Doug didn't actually like either spawned or weren't responsible for all these crop circles. And they certainly weren't responsible for all the ones all over the world, right? right? They were mostly in Southern England, but some were happening elsewhere. So it doesn't actually matter whether it was Doug and Dave doing it or somebody else. Yeah. The point the, is that it could be done. Right. The main point is we have a crop circle who the experts are saying, there's no way this could be done by humans. Right. It had to have been aliens or super intelligence. And then boom, it was done by humans. Right. Yeah. So. so at this point, now we've caught up with where pretty much probably everybody watching this was at the beginning, knowing that crop circles are a hoax and you can do it with a plank of wood and some rope. The people who, <laughs> who do this for fun call themselves serial artists. Um, and there's like no doubt at this point that they humans are responsible for some absolutely just breathtaking crop circles. Uh, and I want to circle back to the features that earlier were diagnostic, we were told, of and genuine crop circles such that it could not possibly be done Mm. by humans. The reason we had to look for an alternative supernatural explanation or, or like new physics or something, we had to look for an exotic explanation was because of these things. Absence of physical trampling was one. That was probably the biggest one too, right? Because they're like, there's no way a human could come into this field, do all this stuff without leaving a trace. Right. But the board would prevent them from, you know, breaking too many, uh, plants and from leaving footsteps and they would use uh, tire ruts and things like that to walk in and out to hide their their tracks right. they pointed to the precision of the designs regardless of what you think of dave and doug's workmanship like there's no doubt that at this point serial artists are planning their designs well in advance and they're using things like pulled strings and you know tape measures and at this point they're using more um things like GPSs and lasers and stuff. Laser guided, you know. They didn't have that at the time, but still, like they were being, this wasn't done on a whim, like, hey, let's go make a crop circle tonight. Like they took time to plan out the geometry of these things. They pointed to the rapid manufacture that was done tonight and the size, but artists have like done demonstrations under people watching them, just like Doug and Dave did in the times constraint that would be needed to do it at night. And people are certainly capable of doing that. The raised cone in the middle, according to Meaden, ruled out physical compression, but I couldn't find a picture of exactly what Meaden was talking about. But if what he's talking about is a raised bit of plant in the middle, like people have made circles just like that. So. Yeah. Uh, 
and it even makes sense of some of the things that the circle proponents, the crappies thought was mysterious. Like why did they appear to be built in sequence? Cause they were built in sequence. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also why were the circles elsewhere in the world like different? Because, because people, different artists were doing them, right? Yeah, yeah. As different people, like probably some people in North America had seen stuff going on in Southern England. like, oh, that'd be fun. And they went and figured out a way to do it, right? But they didn't have D- Doug and um, Dave's board technique. So they're doing right. something different, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So all of these things were definitive proof that humans couldn't do it. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have the skill. We didn't have the time. And then two dudes who were almost 70 at this time did it with a stick and some ropes. <laughs> And this is probably, if you take nothing else away from this this episode, this is why we say over and over and over again, so many times I get sick of saying it, we don't know does not mean, therefore we do know, and it's aliens or God or whatever, right? It simply means we don't Don't know. know. And maybe we should uh, say yet. Exactly. So... While there's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong about me and these other people exploring uh, explanations, right? Mm-hmm. Asserting that it has to be aliens or something like that because I can't imagine how a human could do this. It cannot possibly be a human, and then it's just you know two old dudes with a stick and rope. That I think you can see the parallels between what we hear about the Shroud of Turin, what we hear about any kind of miraculous healing, what we hear about pick a claim. And you hear this exact same argument, right? And this one is particularly interesting because we standing here in the 21st century can look back at these articles and papers and interviews from the 90s, from the 80s, and people are marveling at things saying humans couldn't possibly do this when we know, with the benefit of hindsight, exactly how it's being done, right? right? So, Also, caveat, that doesn't mean that just because we have these similarities in the arguments that that means humans did something else either too. Yeah, so. that, that is, that is true. We're not saying that because in this case, we don't know ended up having a human that does not necessarily mean that that will be the case for all other things, but it should perhaps give us a pause, you know, right? because <laughs> if we look not just at this, but at the, the entire course of human history, there's never been a single instance of, we don't know, or, uh, it is this supernatural thing, this this exotic thing of that explanation. Not having a natural, a natural explanation, yeah. Right. No. There's never been an I don't know, and the answer was magic. There's been the other way, but never that way. Okay. So that's, that's the, the cautionary tale part. But uh, despite it being common knowledge now that crop circles are made by people, there's a bunch of hoaxes, there are still people who firmly believe that some circles are hoaxes. Not these circles, obviously. Right. Okay. These circles aren't hoaxes, but these other ones are genuine. And here's the list of diagnostic factors of how we know that it can't. <laughs> no self awareness whatsoever. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Um, so, in all seriousness, uh, one person who uh, has looked into this is another scientist. His name is W.C. Levengood. He was, uh, his, I think his, de- his degree was not in my biology, but he worked as a microbiologist. And he seemed to be espousing some kind of model like uh, Atsuki's ball of spinning plasma. Okay, so this is one of the more popular theories that's still kind of like being held on to by people who believe that crop circles are genuine. So the idea is like this ball of plasma comes out as like, and it's like kicking out microwaves, which are doing things. Gotcha. So 
we've talked about some of the old ones and how those were debunked. This is one of the holdouts, so let's debunk that. Uh, Levin Good points out to some features of crop circles, which, and again, stop me if you've heard this, can't be done by humans. So the plants are <laughs> bent but not broken, even though like we have seen just, crop circles made that way. Doesn't yeah. matter. Okay. Leave that aside. This one is good, though. Uh, so here's a picture from one of his papers. The Some grass, some of the plants have these expulsion cavities, and it looks as if a portion of the plant was like superheated and like blew out. Okay, so the top are like what uh, normal grass looks like. The bottom picture there, B, you can see it's expanded. Some of them are like like busted as if it like exploded, kind of like you cooked in the microwave and it blew up, right? And that is is harder to see how that could be done with a you know a stick and some rope, right? Uh, so unlike most people who throw around ideas about crop circles, Levengood actually published peer-reviewed research on the topic, and I could find three papers. The first paper is Semi-Molten Meteoric Iron Associated with Crop Formation. That's published in the Journal of Scientific Exploration. That one's from 1995. So after the whole thing with uh, Dave and Doug came about, right? Um, But as you should always do when you find a paper, particularly if it's in a journal you're not sure of, you haven't heard of, you should always check your source. Just because it says it's peer-reviewed doesn't mean it is. And even if it is, doesn't mean it's reliable, right? So this particular journal is dedicated to studying rogue phenomena that belong to no established discipline. Uh, basically, defying the orthodoxy is another way that they have described themselves <laughs> in the past. And its editors include several parapsychologists, para as in paranormal, people specialize in ghosts, like not like people see ghosts, but like actual ghost psychology, UFO researchers, stuff like that. So this is not building a ton of confidence in me in this journal, right? This is a journal clearly for this kind of fringe research. However, there are two others that Levengood published in Physiology Plantarum, published in 1994 and 1999. And that, that one I was surprised at because it's an honest to God, actual peer reviewed journal. It has a good impact factor. It's in, you know, listed in databases. It's like a legit journal, okay? And while his papers have not been, it's been over 20 years since he published these papers and virtually nobody has cited them, which is not a good sign. Still, it's actual cool. research published yeah. in an actual journal, right? Not that many people are out there like, oh, let me uh, see who's done all this research on crop circles and right. spends the time to go find the articles and read the, oh, wait, that was you. So sorry. That's true. Yes. <laughs> unless, unless you spend your Friday nights looking for papers from the 90s about crop circles, yes. So I thought it was worth actually looking into these yeah. papers and giving them some some due diligence. So the specific paper I'm going to be focusing on is Dispersion of Energies in Worldwide Crop Formations. And that's the paper where the picture from earlier was about. And it focuses on those expanded growth nodes and the expulsion cavities. So the some observations from the paper. The damage to the grass tends to decrease as one moves away from the center of the circle. So it's most intense in the middle, less intense on the outside. Levengood says that this is evidence of heating within the plant tissue. And he infers the presence of microwaves because that would be something that would heat inside, cause it to superheat and explode, just like you explode things in the microwave. So he combined those observations with some other stuff like the swirls and things like that. And that leads him to conclude that intense plasma energies were involved, right? His model is very similar to one like we mentioned before. Ball of ionized plasma spins. Where did it come from? Not sure, but it kicks out a bunch of microwaves, cooks the grass. Specifically, it cooks it 
at the growth nodes, which causes it to weaken and lay down. And that's how you get a crop circle. Hmm. Now, Levengood's conclusion in this paper are very speculative and aren't don't necessarily follow from his conclusions from from his presented information, right? Um, but that said, it's still the observation themselves are still there that these things have been observed in crop circles, right? So that shouldn't be ignored. Um, so I went to look to see if anybody had addressed this. Nobody has cited his work, but maybe somebody else has looked into it. Uh, the only person I could find uh, more credentialed than myself <laughs> who looked at it was a gentleman named Richard Taylor. He's a physicist, and he published uh, some stuff in the description. And basically, he kind of gave a, a summary of crop circles to date, and he looked at Levin Good's uh, model, and he said, well, basically... If you're saying microwaves have to be involved, like microwaves need to be used, maybe we should consider some alternative source of microwaves. You know, maybe, maybe just maybe, humans were involved in making those microwaves, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard Taylor claimed that the BLT Research Group, which is not a research group making tasty sandwiches, they are a organization <laughs> of cereologists. That uh, seem to be active. They were active at least until 2010. I think they've kind of dropped off since then. But uh, they, he said, Taylor said that the BLT research team had claimed to be able to replicate the effects of the plants that they were seeing, these expulsion nodes, all that, uh, by exposing them to microwaves generated from a magnetron that you can pull out of a microwave, from a microwave oven you might have in your kitchen. Okay. Now, I dug hard and i couldn't find any i could find tons of people repeating this that the blt research team had done this i could not find anyone from the blt research team saying they'd done it i went to their website scoured it i sent a message to the person who runs it but um she's had medical issues so i wasn't surprised not to get a response so i can't be sure that taylor is actually correct in this uh, um this assertion but still the point is salient that if we're going to suppose that microwaves have to be involved if that is what the evidence is telling us then we should explore other alternatives so natural alternatives natural alternatives right some like whole wheat alternatives pun intended so uh <laughs> i i looked into this so you can get a magnetron from a reasonably powerful microwave like even like a really nice like commercial microwave the magnetron the thing you actually need from it is like 100 bucks you know okay pretty easy to find uh, the energy requirement. Are we making a plasma gun right now? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you could power it with a 24 volt uh, battery. 24 volt battery you can buy from Amazon. That's a little pricey, but all told, you know, add in some electrical equipment and some stuff. You could probably make one of these for a grand, maybe two. Which that's not cheap, but it's certainly well within the budget of like an enthusiast. People, if you're willing to like spend hours of your night stomping on plants with like the stick and board and stuff. And like some of the equipment I've seen them have like these rollers and stuff, like it's pretty sophisticated yeah. and they're using like GPS and stuff like this is well within the means of, of people who do that. Right. But all right. So let's say you make this thing. Would this household magnetron powered by 24 volt battery, whatever, would that cause the, the poop that we're talking about here? So I can't say for sure. I'm kind of leaning on Levin good. I'm basically taking his research seriously and saying, okay, if you are correct that a microwave that heated up a plant would do this, then what does that mean? Could a a device that a human would build such that they could carry it into a field? Like it, ha it would have to be portable, right? If this required right. a generator, like you 
you know, run a building off of, obviously that's not going to work because, you know, <laughs> or if it like needed to be done by a vehicle where there's no tire tracks, like right. that would, that would certainly stretch things more. So it would need to be something that could be plausibly carried by a human being and set up and stuff like that. Right. Just to, and again, I'm not saying that this is, is in fact what happened, what is happening. I'm just saying whether or not it's plausible. Right? right. So I did some calculations just to get some rough back of the envelope stuff, do some math. If you want to see the math, you can go in the description. I got a spreadsheet there you can look at. Uh, but I pulled the specific heat of grass. Google told me that 3000 joules uh, kilo- per kilogram per degree C. That means you need to give it 3000 joules of energy per kilogram of grass to heat that grass by one degree. Okay. I found a figure for the density of grass plants in a field. And then I kind of eyeballed what a grass node size would be, you know, get like kind of guess based on like grass I've picked or whatever. Um, so from that, I calculated it would take 4,000 joules per degree C to heat up all the grass in a five meter circle. There are circles bigger than that, but just like pick a number out of the air, right? So from there, I assumed you had a 2000 watt magnetron. They have an electrical efficiency of 67%. Pretty good. That means you give it, a, you know, 100 joules of energy, you'll get 67 joules of heat or microwaves in this case out, right? And then I assumed 80% of the microwaves are wasted. Only 20% get absorbed in the circle. Just some rest just going out into the atmosphere. Into nothing, yeah. right? And so if all of those were correct, you could deliver enough energy to raise the plants from the ambient temperature in southern England in the summer at night of 10 degrees Celsius to about to raise it a 90 degrees Celsius to get to 100, the boiling point of water. Right? That's pretty hot. Pretty hot. Uh, you could do that in five and a half minutes. Okay. And uh, a battery of the sort I saw on Amazon could do that for some like 30 minutes, maybe an hour, depending on the size of the battery and stuff like that. And you could just swap out batteries when the other one died. Exactly. Boom. So is this what's happening? No idea. (laughs) I don't know. No serial artist that I'm aware of has said that they're doing this. Um, Richard Taylor didn't know of anyone who has said they're doing this. The only point I'm making is if the crop circle community is correct and microwaves are involved then we should as we should rule out and i mean like really rule out this time like for real this time guys rule out natural causes before we start positing like spinning balls of plasma ball lightning alien generated heat weapons before, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah yeah since all of this could be done with the budget constraints and skill constraints of an enthusiast we should default to that unless we have a good reason not to right so, I would I would think so. I mean, and if Shreyas told us anything, when we start assuming stuff. Uh... Now, in all fairness, there are a couple of outstanding questions. You've got people who, the eyewitness accounts that have been alluded to, there are people who say, like, they watched a crop circle be formed. So uh, that certainly, if it was, I don't know, a five-minute microwave, maybe, that could explain that. I don't know. But also eyewitness accounts are not super reliable. So we did an episode on miracles and the witnessing of miracles a while back, which kind of goes into the psychology psychology right. of how miracles happen. So so I'm not I wouldn't put a ton of, of stock in that. There's also the biological changes, people having nausea, headaches, toothaches. I don't know about you. I'm 37. My back aches for no reason all the time. <laughs> yeah. you know? Sometimes I get headaches. It happens. Right. It happens. And so this like, could be a simple counting the hits, ignoring the misses phenomena, right? Exactly. That's something we've talked about. Humans are very prone to noticing correlations. So if I just get a backache and it goes away, 
and there was nothing significant happening, I won't remember it. It won't right. even register. But if I just so happen to be walking to a crop circle and got a backache, well, now, now that backache matters, right? Now, and it's even funny when you see these reports from crappies, they'll say, I was with someone and he had a toothache and these headaches didn't affect me at all, but he had like, you know. <laughs> Maybe you were out walking in the woods and you forgot to drink water and you got dehydrated. <laughs> also, like, you can have placebo effects. If you are, yeah. if you are expecting some weird stuff to happen, very true. Sometimes weird stuff can happen, and the sort of things that are being said to happen—basic aches, nausea, stuff like that—those th- are things that can just happen, right? So that's not super um, reliable. It's kind of the same explanation for cameras and sound equipment. I have not dug deeply into the specific instances. It is not consistent. Some most crop circles don't have this kind of report at all, so. Yeah. And you would think if it was something that was unique to crop circles, you could take any sort of electrical testing device or electromagnetic device or right. geigometer, whatever you want, go out there and figure out, hey, there's something so going on here. There doesn't seem to be any kind of consistent uh, uh, pattern to this. And there's thousands, there have been thousands of crop circles over the years. If at any point somebody has a camera and it fails in a crop circle, well, that's now you've got an electrical failure being reported, right? Yeah. So I don't put a ton of stock in these either. Now, I'm sure that as I say this, I can already hear the keyboards going off. And I, the, the please, please do tell me in the comments all of the things that you can see in crop circles that humans could definitely never do, right? <laughs> these, these features, no human could possibly do it. But before you hit enter, that confidently declaring you know that this feature of a crop circle or the shroud of turin or faith healing or whatever it is couldn't be possibly be done by a human just cast your mind back to pat delgado in that 1991 corn or wheat field (laughs) and and just remember him for a moment before you hit enter that's all i'm asking that's they're not gonna do that no, they're not. But maybe some of the rest of you will, and you'll get a laugh out of it. Yeah. So that's our show, guys. Hope it was uh, informative. Since you have stuck with us all the way to the end, you get rewarded with today's fallacy of the day. Mm, the begging the question fallacy. So this is when you assume the truth of the conclusion instead of supporting it. So you put the conclusion in one of your premises early on. So if you're if you're forming a logical uh, syllogism, you would put the conclusion in one of the premises. Um, yeah. Also known as a circular argument, basically. Yeah. yeah. So it would go something like this. Uh, chocolate cake is great, you know, or all cakes are good. I like cake. Therefore, all cakes are good or something like that. You know, right. um, if at any point. No, the Bible is true because the Bible tells me the Bible is yeah. true. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Premise one, the Bible is rel- is perfectly reliable. Premise two, the Bible says it's reliable. Therefore, Therefore the Bible's Bible reliable. reliable. <laughs> yeah. Those sort of things. If at any point your conclusion is in the premises, then it's just, it's begging the question. Now, it's usually not as obvious as this, right? Yeah. Usually, it's kind of implicitly. Often, it'll be implicitly kind of assumed. It's often not stated as part of the argument, but in the background, the supporting assumptions or the worldview that goes into it um, includes this. You see this a lot in claims of miracles uh, where... or a good example of this would be uh, Mike Lacona. So Mike Lacona uh, is a Christian apologist who argues for the truth of the resurrection. And to his credit, he is explicit about this. So he's not begging the question, but other people are not as explicit. 
And he'll basically include as part of his background knowledge that miracles can happen, right? He he kind of takes his background knowledge of experiences with uh, supernatural occurrences and stuff like that. And therefore he says, okay, miracles are possible. So, but other people don't aren't as explicit as Mike is. And then if your conclusion is therefore miracles are possible, that's where you get in that circle, right? I assume miracles are possible. Therefore, right. miracles, miracles are possible. Are possible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well. yeah, so unlike a lot of the fallacies we talk about, this is one that um, is actually in the wild, you'll see all the time. Um, just be careful that you scrutinize not just your premises, but also the assumptions you've got kind of behind those premises. And that's how you avoid this one. It's a good one to avoid because we don't want to get caught up in circular arguments. So Right. And you may hear uh, a presuppositionalist say something like, oh, it's okay, it's a circle because it's a virtuous, virtuous circle. Uh, that's actually a very technical term. A virtuous circle is a circle that I like. If it, a circle that helps me and my argument, that's virtuous. All everybody else's circles, they're terrible and bad. You should definitely do, <laughs> not do that. But if my circles are good because the argument's true and because the conclusion's true, it's okay if I use a circular argument to get there. Look at my premises; it's right there. <laughs> I would just advise you to stay away from precepts and anything that has to do with precepts. <laughs> yes, that is that is wise. Maybe we should do an episode on precepts if, like, we just oh, lose my our goodness. minds. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, thanks for watching all the way end. Please like, comment, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. Really does help out the channel. Um, it's a super big help. Stay tuned into the future. We're going to be doing some more Jesus mythicism stuff. We're going to start pretty soon our book review of David Fitzgerald's book, Mything in Action. Which again, I love that title. I don't necessarily like all the content of the book, but the title, excellent. pretty clever. That's pretty, pretty clever. Great. I like yeah. it. I like it a lot. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but until then, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.